Where Kindness Lives is designed to cultivate a kinder world by helping to inform and inspire. Hosted by Jenny Sager from Nextdoor, the neighborhood network connecting you to what truly matters so you can belong. We'll chat to the most thought-provoking individuals paving the way for positive change and hear from neighbors who deliver small acts of kindness every day. So come on a journey to where kindness lives. Our guest today is widely known for her role in the reality cult favorite, The Real Housewives of New York. But the journey to TV star and what's happened since is what makes Dorinda Medley a true powerhouse on and off the screen. From fashion to fundraising to making it nice, Dorinda is a force to be reckoned with. Dorinda, welcome to Where Kindness Lives. I have to say we are really excited. I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for making the time. I wore this t-shirt just before the bag. I see what it says. Love, live, learn, and start with love. Start over. But but. that is a good way to get into our first question that we ask of all of our guests, which is, what does kindness mean to you? I think kindness starts with yourself. I was talking about that on the radio show today. I think that we forget that in order to be kind in the world and, and, you know, try to, I have a thing called the make it nice movement where once a week you should do something nice for someone else and see how it spreads the love. And it's an amazing thing to watch. But, you know, I've decided in my fifties that I was never kind enough to myself. So I think if you can teach yourself to say, you know, you're worthy, you're great, today's going to be a new day, give yourself chances, allow yourself to acknowledge the fact that, you know, you're not perfect. I say to people, I'm perfectly imperfect. And then go out in the world and just, you know, kindness, it seems like such a big word, right? But kindness is just a, a series of, for me, many small actions that, you know, kind of translate into making someone feel a little different about themselves. I told a story once um, that I I think about all the time because it affected me when I was 16. And I remember coming, I was a waitress for about eight years, 10 years of my life. It put me through private school and college and afforded me many opportunities. And I remember once someone was so mean to me as a waitress, like she told me my hands were too big, that why are you acting so stupid? And I went home, and I was so mean to my mother. Ugh. And then we got into a screaming match. And it just had this trickle-down effect. And I remember apologizing to my mother that night, going into a room and saying, listen, I'm so sorry, but you know, someone was really mean to me. She goes, well, isn't that how it works when you're mean? You're mean to someone, and then that person's mean to someone else. So remember, and it works the same with good. When you're good to someone or you do an act of kindness, because I think kindness is a verb. It's like love. It's a real verb. It's a, everybody can say, oh, I'm kind. Oh, I love you. But what's the verb, right? And you'll see that it stops people. Because, you know, we have the option. The other day, you know, someone cut me off. My first reaction was going to be like, you. You know what I mean? But then I was like, oh, don't worry about it. And the person rolled down their window. They rolled down. Press, press, rolled down. I'm showing my age. <laughs> Pressed their window. I said, listen, thanks, Lai. I didn't mean to do that. I just, you know, I wasn't looking. And I, I was like, don't worry. And it turned into this thing that could have been so negative became a positive. Yeah. I was like, what's your number? Where you live? Yeah. <laughs> Come by for a drink, right? <laughs> Definitely. So for me, kindness is a verb and a series of all kinds of different small actions yeah. that create a big effect. Yeah, I think that is just right on the money. And I think what you said about being kind to yourself is so important. And mm-hmm. the small acts of kindness 
you're right, it's important when you're doing it to somebody else or also for yourself. And it makes such a big impact. And that domino effect that you see from both ends, as you mentioned, like if you're being unkind, it does have a ripple effect. But the beauty is that if you're being kind with small little gestures, it definitely does. Yes. And if effects change. Yeah. Because it builds confidence and it makes, like, you know, when you're kind to people or you do something that maybe does something that makes them feel good about themselves, people walk differently. Their posture changes, the way they interact, the way they think about themselves. And listen, life is hard. Yeah. Life is hard enough. We don't need people telling us what we aren't. I always say, don't tell me what I'm not. Tell me what I am to you. Definitely. Um, you. It's Thursday. You mentioned that uh, you try to do something nice every week. The week's almost over. Yes. Have you done it yet this week? I did it. You know what I did the other day? I went to, it's very, it's a small thing, but I, I the kid, the, the boy that was working, it was so nice. So I am a big McDonald's person. I love McDonald's. I allow myself McDonald's once a month. I have the app. It's one of the best apps you'll ever get because they have all kinds of free stuff on it. And I go for every, growing up in a big family with no money, I go for everything free. So if there's a free option, I will get it. Okay. <laughs> Hannah's like, you study those CVS uh, coupons like it's you're going to Harvard. I'm like, wait a second. Okay. <laughs> so on, they had French, um, happy French fry. It was French fry national day. Yes. And uh, on your app, you got a code and you can go get a free, free french fries, yeah. a large french fries. So of course I put myself in the car, picked up my mother, and uh, off we went to the <laughs> McDonald's. <laughs> and I got my free Francis, and when I pulled up to the thing, he, I gave him $20. He said, no, it's free. I said, no, that's for you. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And the kid, he said, really? He said, man, that is so nice. He said, that really means a lot to me. Do you know that? Almost to a point where I thought he was going to cry. I was like, well, don't cry over 20. Let me give you 100, and then maybe we can shed a tear, right? But... <laughs> I don't, but I just, it was just that moment of him, he, he just changed. Yeah, yeah. well, and he, he probably paid it forward later in the day That's the it. week also. So hopefully now when the next person comes to the drive-thru, he's a little happier. Yeah. Maybe he'll go home and tell his mother the story, yeah. you know, and, and it just, it made me feel so good. It does, it makes you, it makes the person doing the act feel just as good as the person receiving it. And also too, there's another interesting thing you should try, I've been doing it a lot, is I, I think that maybe it's been since COVID, but People don't talk to each other so much or make my mother, you know, was the mother that went through the grocery store and literally talked to everybody. <laughs> and I'm kind of that person. Hannah once said, my daughter, Hannah, shall we, we live close to the 86th street subway. Yeah. And I live on 87th. Okay. Yeah. So Hannah said, you know, mom, we got to the subway one day. She goes, you know, mom, I am not going to walk this block with you because I don't need to have 15 conversations. <laughs> She's like, it's going to take us an hour to get a Because I know you're going to yeah. want to talk to the hot dog guy. You're going to want to acknowledge the coffee person. You're going to ask this person where she got her handbag. And it's, I just can't. I'm not yeah. that person. So, but it's interesting. I noticed that people walk around almost invisible. Yes. Now, it's, yeah. and I was in the bathroom. Headphones in. Headphones in. Yeah. Um, we're all walking sort of a little bit like robotic. Mm -hmm. So the other night I was in uh, the bathroom at the monkey bar and this one girl came out and of course she's full. I said, oh my God, I love that shade. Of she's bought a lipstick. I said, that shade of lipstick is perfect for you. And at first she didn't really know what to do with it, but she was like, yeah, well, do you want me to tell you what it is? It's a, uh, it's such a, yeah, it's <laughs> my favorite. I so all of a sudden. It just created a connection. Yeah, definitely. Right? Definitely. Hey, this, we're just all trying to be connected somehow. Exactly.
Exactly. And everybody's waiting for somebody else to take the first step. That's it. Honest truth. Well, you can count on me for that. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, was there anyone in your life that you feel like was particularly kind that stands out to you? Yes, my late husband. was. I think that's one of the reasons I fell in love with him is because he was just so... He not only was kind, he was patient. And he just was all accepted. I think the reason, because I vowed I'd never get married again. Mm. And I vowed I certainly wouldn't get married until Hannah was grown up because I just didn't want that male energy in my life. I didn't want to have to negotiate with someone else when it came to my daughter. I had a vision for her and no one was going to mess it up. I'd already messed up because I got divorced from her father. And I was always afraid it would goof up the relationship she had with her father. So I just made this decision, and long behold, I met Richard Medley. And he was, he got me by just, you know, as my mother says, if you ever want to catch a squirrel, don't chase it. Just sit there and let it eat out of your hand. <laughs> and Richard was, I was kind of the squirrel that eventually ate out of his hand. He just sat there with the peanuts in his hands. Just he didn't, he knew, he knew how to be fully, accept, he was fully accepting of me. Yeah. And he made me feel safe. And I often think about, you know, what what is, you know, there's so many, I've listened to so many things with this Andrew Tate and this, yes. this all these different ways that men and women are trying to define themselves now. It's all very difficult, right? And we're all, these women are getting more successful and more successful and more independent and more independent. And it's causing, I think it's causing a lot of uh, conversations, yeah. right? Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I just think at the end of the day, if you can just be, again, kind to each other and accepting and patient, there was nothing I could say to Richard that he didn't make room for me and my daughter in my life. It's amazing. And that's what I needed at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I needed someone to say, I accept both of you. Yeah. Uh, and he said to me on my wedding day, I will, as this day forward, Hannah is as much my, um, uh, uh, what's the word? My, as much my not pretend. What's the word? I'm, I'm having I'm a little hungover from last night. It's just my responsibility, and I'm indebted to her as I am to my children yeah. and to you. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. You have certainly had a lot of challenge in your life and change in your life. You did actually move this week yes. to a new neighborhood. How do you? No, I. It's a funny story. I moved into the same building that I sold oh, my. I just moved across the hall. Oh my god. No, I moved on the other side of the building. It's a funny story because I lived in my old apartment and raised Hannah until she was, you know, went away to college. And then I decided to redo the whole apartment and make it mine, mine, all mine. Like it's going to be just a bachelorette pad and I'm going to make it all about my clothes and having dinner parties and staying up late. And God knows what I'm going to do in this apartment because now it's mine. I'm no longer a mother, a wife, anything. It's mine. I did it all. I turned her second bedroom into a full closet, like a store. Hannah's like, where am I going to sleep? I'm like, well, not here anymore because that, that, that's expired. You come to Busto Manor. And I moved in, and two months after I moved in, lived there 21 years. I bought it uh, six days after 9-11. I, I, my real estate agent, who originally sold me the place, okay, 21 years ago, Lori Cooper, who's a fantastic old-school real estate woman. She is everything I love. She's kind of a Marilyn Monroe mixed with Joan Rivers, mixed with Judge Judy. Oh so gosh. it's just she wears lip crooked lipstick. Her hair's always done. She's in everybody's business. She's like now seventy five. She goes, Doreen Alyssa, I want to ask you a question. Can I come over and see what you did to that damn apartment? I said, Well, of course, Lord, because I've stayed in touch with her and we have yeah. coffee once every three months. Yeah. Cause I gather people and I keep them, right? Yeah. 
So she comes up, she goes, now listen, I got a little uh, uh, agenda here, but I don't want to upset you. I got a guy that's in Beijing that I think is going to like this apartment you redid. I said, but I'm not selling it. No. She goes, I know, but listen, what the hell? Let's get him on the, the horn and put him on FaceTime and let him just take a look-see because he's looking for a nice gift for his daughter for graduation from MIT. Guy comes up, he's in Beijing, he buys my, I give him some outrageous price, and he buys my apartment for cash that day. Oh so Lori's like, well, look at that. We just, why aren't you so proud? So she left. I cried. <laughs> I went downstairs. I cried to everybody in the building. I cried to anybody that would pick up their phone because where am I going to live? Yeah. And what, like, I've lived there 20 more years. I created this vision now of my new life. Yeah. So I was crying to the super, George. She used to be the doorman when I first moved in 20 minutes ago. I'm like, George, just I just don't know what I'm going to do now. <laughs> He's like, well, you should be happy. You made a lot of money. I'm like, I don't know. I just don't know. It's really terrible. He goes, well, buy another apartment. I'm like, but I want to live in this apartment. He goes, well, run upstairs. And you know this. She's a Spanish woman. She had raised two kids in that one-bedroom loft. I think she's going to sell her apartment. I said, really? So I got on the elevator, and I knocked on her door, and I bought the apartment. That's so funny. It's such a New York City story. I also moved from my apartment in New York City to the apartment upstairs at so <laughs> one stage, which is... It, because we fall in love with the buildings. Yes. and the location. And, and the location and the people and the yeah. routine. Yeah. I mean, it truly is, these are the people in my neighborhood. Yeah, and what do you love about your neighborhood in New York City? I, the main thing is I walk in the park almost every day I'm here. So my routine is to get out of bed, lay on the floor and stretch, and make my coffee and go right to the park. I have a whole community there. I have the community of the dog walkers, the runners, the divorcee older women with their now dogs and carriages. I have the whole thing going on. I know the vendors that are there early. And then I go and I have a coffee at Eli's or something after that. And then I uh, start my day. Stay kind. Where kindness lives will be back in a flash. Everyone is feeling the pinch with rising costs of living and socialization is becoming a luxury. But connecting with your neighbors is free, and scientific research shows it can actually reduce financial stress and improve mental health and well-being. Nextdoor is 100% free and is a safe and easy way to find like-minded people in your local area to grab a coffee with, go for a walk, join a book club, or simply say hello. Download the Nextdoor app or go to nextdoor.com today. Well, I do want to talk to you about Real Housewives because... Okay. As you even just mentioned, you are very quintessential. New York is your home. Yes. So when the producers first approached you about this, were you just instantly in or did you have to think about it? What happened? Well, you got to remember, I've known these girls for like ever. So they're, I, we raised our children together. Ramona's daughter actually went to school with my daughter. She was a year older. And I used to go to all the housewife filming. So you always see me. I'm in a lot of the episodes, the old episodes. And Ramona would always mention it to me and, you know, when it first came out, it was called um, it was called Ladies of New York or something else. It was Manhattan Moms or something, and I just thought I can't, I mean I was a single mom, and you know Ralph Hannah's father would have never like it, it just was weird. You have to be in a certain place, and you know after Richard passed, Ramona said to me, "Why don't you just do it? Hannah's in college now." You know, I could never have done it with Richard because Richard was involved with a lot of political things and the Council of Foreign Relations and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she said, come on, try it. If you don't like it, you don't have to do it. So it was sort of a very informal process because they kind of already knew me. And I think, uh, meaning the kind of 
people at the Bravo or Shed, they kind of already knew who my car- who I was. And of course, I knew all the girls really well, except for like Bethany and Carol, who I consequently got to know very well. And uh, to be honest with you, I just, it just, I remember my first scene with Ramona when they said they mic sweet and they put the camera on me. And I remember looking at the camera thinking, I like the camera and the camera likes me. This is going to be really fun. <laughs> and I could, and I didn't care. I, I was no longer straddled with titles of being someone's wife for being someone's, I mean, I'm always Hannah's mom, but just, now she was on her way now, or being someone's daughter. I just kind of got rid of my last name and I was just Dorinda. And whatever that, and it, and it really acted, I'm always very thankful to Bravo, and I always say this to Andy, because it was therapy for me. It distracted me from a lot of sadness, and it empowered me in a way that I hadn't really been empowered for a long time, because all of a sudden I was making my own money. and. You know, fame is, is can be a fun thing if handled correctly, right? You can't lie. It is. It provides tremendous opportunities. And it's a world that, um, you know, if handled correctly, it, it can be, you know, very, very growing. Yeah. And the show has such an enormous following globally. It's mm-hmm. not just here in the U.S. Like people, especially. Well, the, Australia right? people. We have a huge yeah. following in exactly. Australia. And the social media. I mean, it's a, it's massive. But there is sometimes a lot of drama. Yes. Has going on. Well, it has to be. <laughs> so how do you stay kind and how do you bring it back to kindness when you're on the show and you're going through that? Well, you know, it's not easy. But the thing is, is I think the thing, I can only speak for my group, but we cycle through it quickly because we're so, we, we really were so close in real life. And also to the girls, I was talking to Ramona about this recently. You know, we're, we're smart enough to know what we're doing. And I always say you have to think about a, a housewife as almost like an uh, NFL player. So you train for it. You get on the field. You beat the shit out of each other. And then you get off the field and you have dinner that night. And you're yeah. each other on the ass. You're like, okay, and then we're after another season. Like, and, you know, and we come from a generation of women that really have to keep it moving or have had to keep it moving. Yeah. You know, none of those girls grew up with a lot of money. And so we come from that generation in New York where you came and you you struggled like yeah. you you did hustled. you hustled yeah. we yeah. are we are the old school hustlers I mean we climbed our way you know and and a lot of it was uh, smoke and mirrors mm-hmm. yeah definitely you know you saved I remember I saved all my money to buy one Norma Kamali skirt uh, and I wore it as a skirt I wore it as a tube dress I wore it to interviews I wore it so many different ways I went to every party in it every date in it like you. And was there anyone during that time that kind of helped you out, gave you a nudge, like a, a celebrity or somebody influential that kind of gave you a little bit of push? Or there, you, there yeah. wasn't anyone that happened? Just yeah. pure, unadulterated uh, hard work hard work, and just desire. Yeah. Like, I wanted to be a New Yorker. Amazing. And, and I had a vision of what I wanted, always. I, I, the people talk about vision boards and things. I wasn't one of these girls that just, uh, and I talk about it in my book, you know, I always was like, I, I, there's a passage in my book, Make It Nice, where I say, you know, the problem with a lot of people, and I find sometimes with women, I don't like to generalize, is that they want a steak, but they, you know, they, they, they want a steak, but they order a hamburger. Like, if you want a steak, order a steak. But so many people, like, order a hamburger, and they're like, oh, what I really want is a steak. <laughs> I really feel chipped that I get a steak. Then order a steak. I always say to Hannah, plant your garden and know what flowers are going, grow, you know, coming through. Don't just throw a bunch of random seeds and hope for the best. Yeah. Because, you know, life is you can't obviously over predict 
or, or make things, but you can kind of have a, I always had a really great vision and baseline of what I thought I deserved in my life. And I, that's why I never was one of these girls that dated the crazy rock stars and did crazy things because I didn't think it was a good long-term investment for me. And are you happy when you look back at Housewives? Are you happy with how you showed up on that show and, and how you were? I don't, I don't care. Yeah, not looking back. You're just looking <laughs> because my, for me, all the, the, no, it's not even that. I just think you have to look at opportunities macroly, not microly. And the macro I got out of it outweighs the micro. It was a learning curve. And, you know, it's just giving people so much joy. I mean, I can't walk down the street without someone yelling out, make it nice to me. So, obviously, even when they're mad at you, they kind of love you. <laughs> Definitely. And we're going to talk they about They do. I mean, someone the other day was said something to me on my Instagram. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm sorry you feel that way. They wrote back, Dorinda, is that really you? I'm sorry. Because it's just a, you know, I said, hey, that's not very nice. I'm sorry you feel that way. They're like, And you could you could almost feel it in the DMs that the person like, stop. You know, well, I'm going back to the me. It's because you had a kind response. Yeah. It makes them respond kinder where they go, oops, okay, sorry. <laughs> um, there's a new cast of housewives. Do you have any advice for the, the new women that are going on the show? You know what? Just be authentic. Just be authentic. And, you know, I watched the first episode. They're beautiful girls. Listen, I, everyone's like, oh, are you this, are you that? I'm, I don't think it's them or us. I think there's really like, we just did the ultimate girls trip in St. Bart's. We just filmed it. It was wonderful. It's going to be wonderful. But I, as I have said on my radio show, I don't know what the 30-something woman looks like in New York anymore. you got to remember, I raised Hannah in London and in New York in the 90s. We did, I didn't even have a cell phone. Hannah said to me once, I'll never forget it. She goes, now, when you went out in London with Daddy, like, and you didn't have a cell phone, like, who would the babysitter call? She said, what would you do? I said, I'd leave the numbers to the restaurant. She goes, well, what, what if something happened? I said, well, clearly it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they called the restaurant. So, you know, it was a really different, uh, you had to plan, plan things differently. Everything was, you know, very ordered. And the, most women, especially in London, didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that wasn't unusual. Yeah, well, I want to talk about your time in London because you also started your career there with the Cashmere Company. Yeah, well, well. I, no, I started, believe it or not, because I didn't have my work visa yet when I first was with Ralph and I moved over to London. I started, I brought over aerobics to London in 19, like 1990, the end of 1990. I, and, they, people, and I brought it to all the council areas. And it was so funny. I used to rent out these huge council, they have the, free space or whatever it's called. And I'd rent it for like 20 quid. The guy would be like, all right, love, it's 20 quid. I'm like, no problem. And I would <laughs> I would go out to Roehampton in my Alfa Romeo. And it was so hysterical because this concept, this American concept of aerobics was not heard of over there. So I would go and teach and it started off with like four people. I used to, and I ended up having like maybe 80, 100 people a night. And I was charging them three pounds a piece. So I was raking in. Oh my gosh. gosh. You were the Jane Fonda of London. <laughs> but literally during the break, like in between from aerobics to calisthenics or floor exercises, they'd smoke. I said, like, this is amazing. You're pretty much <laughs> describing what my mom was like. Like, this then. is like, exactly. The aerobics tape. They would literally <laughs> smoke in their husbands because every council area has, like, its own pub. And all the men would come with their drinks and be like, oh, I love you. are doing great. I was like, this is just becoming. It was a thing. Oh, my god. Then they'd all invite me back to their places and 
literally drink lager and smoke. I was like, well, it's a different take on it. But networking, you were networking. Well, the cashmere company came after that. So then the cashmere came after that because I was obviously my first husband, Ralph, was a Scottish. That was, he's still. And he lived outside of Glasgow in Mulgavie. So we would go there like every single weekend we could because he was very big and part owner of the Celtics soccer team or football team. Um, which I consequently wore a red sh- shirt to on the first game. It almost caused tremendous controversy in the whole family. Um, and so we spent a huge amount of time in Scotland. And I just, for because I was just so, I don't know if it's true, but I think Scotland was darker back then. I just think England overall was darker back then. I don't know if that's true, but the weather seems to be always nice now in London. I, I just remember it. change. <laughs> I, I think it is, because I remember the sky being at eye level and pushing Hannah around in that pram with a plastic cover over her while she's suffocating to death many Saturdays, okay? And then eating 19 digestives at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and three gallons of tea. And then just like, seriously. So I decided while Ralph was at these football matches that started at like 6 in the morning because he would seem to disappear. It was like these whole day affairs. I started touring all the cashmere factories um, because I just found it fascinating. And I decided just to do something that was, remember back then it was really only N. Peel, Harrods, the Scotch House, and maybe one other brand that did cashmere. And it was very traditional twin set, turtleneck, b-neck, round neck. So I would buy sweaters and I would cut them and make them sexy. So I would tighten the arm and extend the sleeve and yeah i i was the first one to do the finger hole oh my god one of the designers at ralph lauren had breakfast with me about it so i'm not saying don't worry i'm not gonna sue anybody but it's <laughs> you heard it my first. hands are always <laughs> cold so whenever i but i was terrible wearing gloves so i made it one day and i started just doing this yeah extended crazy extended sleeve with um yeah and the reason i made a sh- uh, uh which is i know all the feminists in the world are gonna call in and be like i can't believe she's saying this but the reason I made the armhole so much tighter is because it made your breasts look better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you had some pretty famous clients, too. I mean, yes, I did. You had Joan Collins. I had a lot of famous clients. Did you Did you get, I'm assuming you got to meet them. Oh, yeah. yeah. I got to meet, yeah. I mean, DCL Cashmere was really, I did a cutting, it was, cut, Hello Magazine called it Cutting Edge, I think, at one point. I did, I came out with the unconventional twin set, which really blew everyone's mind. It was basically a halter, a cashmere halter with a, a La Perla, like, bodysuit. Yeah. yeah. And it went here, and then it had a traditional cardigan. So by day, you look like you were wearing a twin set, but by night, you were all... <laughs> do you still have any of this? Yes, I do. Oh gosh, that's amazing. Hannah always says, Mom, you should redo it again. For the time, it was very... But I worked in fashion in New York, so that's where I came from. You know, um, it was very cutting edge. Yeah, that was great. What did you learn about yourself and business from that time in your life? Which time? That that time when you're in London and you were hustling and you're doing cash the most. Here. Let me tell you the the where I learned all of my best skills in life that I'm still applying today was from Mrs. Fitzpatrick at Redline Inn when I was a waitress. She because back then there was no um, there were no sort of human resources or complaints. They could say anything to you, so she was old school, tough as nails. And she would say things like, stand up straight. You're a beautiful woman. You know, if you walk in a room, I'll hold you over. People are going to think you're not confident. You know, put your hands, you know, she was really tough and, and disciplined. 
and don't approach a table like you're scared. If you're scared, people, you have to approach a table like you. And, and then she taught me that anybody that can take a, um, she said once over, anybody, I dare anybody, anyone that can take a full order of four or more without a pad, because we had no pads back then, it's going I, I to be brilliant. You'll be brilliant in life. So I decided when I am never going to write down a order again. And it became this thing where I walk up to a table and I welcome them and they, I'd say, what would you like to order? And they would kind of pause and say, would you like to get your notepad? I'm like, oh, no, sir, I don't need a notepad. They're all up here. There is definitely, I mean, Dave, our producer, will attest to this. We have talked about waitressing on this podcast before because I also waited tables for a very long time. There have been other guests on this podcast who have waited tables, and we have discussed this, that, like, there are skills, life skills you pick well, up waiting tables. I it's almost like it should be mandatory for everyone. I walked into my first interview on the first, my first interview after college, and I took over the interview because if you've been walking up to a table where you know no one and you have to enchant them and get a good yes. tip. Yes. And I got great tips. Like yes. I was, you know, that you, I took, I remember one guy at Ralph Lauren said to me, well, I, I haven't even gotten a word in edgewise. You're yeah. hired. You know, because I was like, my name's Dorinda Matthew. Where are you from? Love your tie. Now tell me how you got into this business. Like, you know, because you Definitely. had to be that person yep. all day, every day. Yep. You had to be able to talk to anyone. Don't, so. I, I, and I yeah. always said to me, if you, Mrs. Fitzpatrick, if you walk into a room confident and stand up straight and act like you know people will believe you. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love this conversation so much. How great is Dorinda Medley? We had so much more to talk about, so we've made a part two. Dorinda talks about her philanthropy work, the gift from her late husband that was a lifelong dream of hers, the lessons she wished she had learned as a younger woman, and of course, which celebrities she would take on the ultimate girls trip if she was running the show. It's so much fun, so don't forget to check it out.